Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm speaking with Susan, President and CEO of U.S. Vote Foundation and Overseas Vote Foundation. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited. <laughs> me too. Let's start by telling us a little bit about when and why the Overseas Vote Foundation was created. Well, that's always fun because I like to tell stories. And <laughs> it started about 16 years ago in 2004. As you might surmise, I'm an overseas voter as well. I was living in Munich. There were quite a lot of interesting events going on in politics at that time, as you might recall. We'd had a rough time in year 2000 with the ballot counting, et cetera, but I was really out of it. I didn't know anything about the details of the overseas voting process. I was like anybody else. This wasn't my area. I was working in the software business. I had a couple kids. I was living my life. And then it dawned on me that I might just need to care about what's going on back in the home country. Right. So I decided to look into it. I scratched the surface. I found out that it was possible to vote from overseas by filling out a blurry form and looking up an address in a 500-page instruction book, right? I got more involved in that whole process and thought, oh, wouldn't it be good to hold events? Try to get more voices sent back. I was using my Sunday afternoons instead of being with the kids. <laughs> I was, you know, at some international school with some acquaintance who was equally interested in doing this, registering about 1.5 voters an hour, and suddenly just looked up one afternoon and said, there's a better way. Why are we so silly? We should be looking on the internet. This must all be online. That was the epiphany moment. It really wasn't all online. And because I came from the software business, I decided, well, look, here's something that needs doing. I think I'll do it. I didn't even realize this was a Pentagon-owned process. I didn't, I didn't see any barriers. I came at it with a completely optimistic American view of see a problem, fix it, create right. something. Right, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's what we did. We ended up automating the 500-page instruction book so that you didn't have to know anything. You could just go online and choose your state, and the process would take you through a flow. It was rough in the beginning, but I'll just say I got through the 2004 election. We had a system. Of course, it needed to be re-engineered, but we had a system online that was well-received in 2004. And right after it, I got together with a couple other people and we created Overseas Vote Foundation as a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. So that was the beginning back in 2004. 2005 is when we got our official 501c3 uh, designation. Now, OVF is part of U.S. Vote, right? Can you tell us the difference between the two? Yes. U.S. Vote Foundation is now the parent organization. Overseas Vote, we took the word foundation off technically, you know, even okay. though it still is on the URL because we need all of our followers to be able to find us no matter what. Overseas Vote is the largest sort of program initiative of U.S. Vote Foundation now. That's kind of technically how it is. Why did we create U.S. Vote Foundation? Between 2004 when we started mm -hmm. and 2010, a lot of improvements happened in overseas and military voting. A lot of reform took place 
and a lot of problems were programmed away. We actually did a very good job. And being the type of person I am, I decided I needed a new set of problems. So I just turned toward the continent and looked at the U.S. and thought, is there a website in the U.S. that mirrors what we have for overseas citizens? Mm-hmm. On the Overseas Vote Foundation's website, we had not just registration and ballot requests, but we had some other services and we tried to have a whole solution there. So no voter would have to go anywhere else. It was just all right there. And I thought, does that exist in the U.S.? Well, it didn't. It didn't exist in the same way. There are lots of U.S. voting websites, but they didn't have the range of services we had. So there was a decision to do that. And there was one other thing going on, which was very important. And that was that our data services were becoming more popular. And it was important that they had a different banner to be promoted under promoting U.S. election data services under an overseas vote banner wasn't going to work. And I could see the writing for that uh, on the wall. I came out of a marketing background. And so the U.S. Vote Foundation was born to be able to handle the expansion into the domestic realm and the data services. And overseas vote continues to be our largest initiative. Can you explain how your voter registration platform works? Yes, and I'll just focus on the overseas voter part. Any U.S. voter from anywhere in the world, domestic or overseas, can land on U.S. Vote Foundation and find the entire superset of services for domestic and overseas and military. Or if you're an overseas citizen, you can just go to the Overseas Vote website, the set of services that you need without any of the domestic stuff. You don't have to sort through that. So it's either way. The number one most important service that we provide is obviously voter registration and ballot request. Now, overseas citizens, we actually have wonderful benefits. The first and foremost is that we have one single uniform form that goes across all states and territories. So there's one form to fill out. The other thing is that single form does two things simultaneously. It will both register you to vote as an overseas citizen or military. It's the same form. At the same time, it will request your absentee ballot for the upcoming election. It saves tons of time and hassle. And if you can get it in before 45 days before the election, which is usually quite simple, usually. But if you can do that, you'll get your ballot 45 days prior to the election. So we have quite a good system. Now, what you do is you just go in there and you enter in as an overseas citizen. You enter the process, you select your state, and you will only be asked the questions that your state requires. But the good thing to know is you don't have to check any instructions. We've taken care of any extra questions that you might have. And once in a while, a state does have some extra questions or requires you to check an extra box. And all that's kind of programmed out. It's easy. It's simple. And then at the end of the process, which really doesn't take long, you're entering information you know, your name and address type of thing. You print out the form and you sign it. And it's really important to do that because you want to make sure that your election official has your current signature on file. Because when you receive your absentee ballot, you actually have to sign the ballot envelope 
so that they can match those two signatures and that's how they authenticate or verify that you are who you are so don't change your signature in between good um, advice yes so that's kind of how it works you send that into your local election office when you print it out it comes with instructions a little letter to you tells you exactly who to send it to and that's really important because there are almost 8,000 possible different addresses and our system will tell you which one is for you. And it also gives you the contact information for your election office, et cetera, and gives you our help desk as a reference. So you're kind of all set there. It's like a little package that gets produced. We discussed the registration and the absentee ballot, and I know that your website also provides additional information, such as deadlines and candidate lists. Can you tell us what other services you provide through your platform? Yes, and this is always, it's an interesting point because, I mean, we've all heard about people who produce products and then they diversify and they end up getting lost with too many things. Well, mm -hmm. I decided there were two things that had to happen. Okay. One, if somebody lands on our website, they needed to know within 10 seconds or less, this is for me. Mm -hmm. So they don't just run away. So they need to see right away, this is for me. And hopefully our websites do that. We have a top line menu and it's not uh, a deep menu. It doesn't, you don't click on it and get any sub menus. It's what I call a flat navigation. And that's really important. You see what you get. So right across the top, you see five or six different tabs of what are the services available to you. The other thing I wanted to make sure of was that when a voter landed on our website, they would not have to go elsewhere to get enough information, answers, or to take action. Of the information services specifically, you mentioned dates and deadlines. That's something we're becoming more and more known for. And it's a point of contention that I actually have with the election administration because, well, there's a good side. The more ways to vote, the more options there are, the more that we list, but it becomes more and more complex as well and very, very granular. For example, a state may say that if your ballot request is postmarked by this date, it's okay, but it has to arrive by this date. These are, you know, these are very granular details and can be very overwhelming, but we have managed to list our dates and deadlines in a way that we think is at least simple. They're in different categories. There's registration deadline, a ballot request deadline, and for an overseas voter, they're almost the same action because it's the same form, and then a ballot return deadline, etc. Anyway, because that has become such granular data exercise in the U.S., we had to build a whole system around it, and now our data wow. even feeds other organizations like Rock the Vote. They take data from us on these things. So we're a source of data for other organizations. Another area of data where we've become pretty much the source in the election community in the U.S. and with other voting organizations is with our election official directory. I mentioned there are about 8,000 different addresses and offices. Right. The election official directory is really good to know about, and I would recommend everybody to go in there. Go in your state, look up your jurisdiction. It might be a county or a town or a village, 
and we have for you not just the address but we have the name of your election officer maybe even several names with emails and phone numbers and those people consider them on your side they're there to help you those are resources for you you can call them up you can email them we've got them all listed so that data powers our voter registration and ballot request services, but it also powers the same services for Rock the Vote and Vote.org and MyMove and the USPS and the National Association of Secretaries of State and on and on. Because we needed those addresses for our overseas citizens, so we became the source of that data. So that's, uh, that also answers a question about how do we survive. We actually don't have any grants. We survive purely on donations and on licensing these, these data services. And then we have a candidate finder for overseas citizens. We also have organized all the state information, lookup tools, eligibility, all those details in our state voting requirements directory. But like I said, land on the website, you'll see what's available right away, tap into each one, super simple. The last thing I can mention is our voter help desk, and that's staffed by real people. Going back to the data you mentioned, mm -hmm. I know that you issue post-election reporting. What can you tell us about overseas voter trends and voter trends in general? We do some post-election research. I would just say that it's changed over the years. We used to have a team of academics who used to do very long detailed surveys. It would take you 20 minutes to fill one out. We don't do it that way anymore. What I like to do as an overseas citizen, just because I know that all my friends out there around the world are watching the election the way I am, and they've probably already sent their ballots in a while back, I like to send them all a little survey on election day and get the finger on the pulse of the overseas citizens before we know the results. The minute the results come out, the answers kind of aren't the same. I've actually literally seen that happen. So on election day, what we do now is we send out an election day survey. Overseas voters are the highest voter group that we have or the largest voter group we have and they respond quite faithfully. And what I've seen over the years, a number of trends. One, the satisfaction rate is off the charts positive. It did not used to be that way at all. People were very frustrated with the overseas voting process. In the last 16 years, it's just completely transformed. It's like off the charts happy, plus, 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 you know, nearly 100%. And those same people are saying they would do it again in a heartbeat. There are always people who don't succeed at the process, but they're such a small number now. And the other thing is people are getting their ballots in time. And because of that, it just relieves so much stress and it increases the satisfaction tremendously. The other thing is 70% of the overseas voters are getting their ballots online and printing them out, but that same 70% is returning them or another 70, but also 70% is returning them on paper, which is excellent. And it means that the reforms worked. We're getting our ballots faster. We have more time to vote. We have more time to put them in the mail. And they are going back on paper, which is the most secure thing. I would say things are positive, actually. Things have gotten so much better. 
Going back to your information help desk that you mentioned, what are some of the common questions individuals have when it comes to voting overseas? A lot of overseas voters don't know if they're eligible to begin with. They might have eligibility questions like, for example, I was born overseas, can I vote? Yes, it depends, unfortunately, what state you're from, but yes, a lot of them can. Uh, using the address of their parents, their parents' last U.S. residence address. For example, my two kids, they use my last U.S. residence address in California. It can be based on eligibility. I would say a lot of the questions, they change kind of depending on the time in the cycle. Now we're getting a lot of questions about changing party affiliation. Interesting. Um, yeah, that didn't used to be the case. It is now around the primaries. That's what's happening. As we get closer to any election, people start to hit the panic button if they haven't actually sent in their form for the year. One thing I forgot to mention is that, unfortunately, overseas ballot requests expire on a calendar year basis. If you haven't filed a request this year in 2020, Right. Your state is not obligated to send you a ballot. They might put you on a permanent list, maybe, like in California. They tend to do that, but they're not obligated to, and most of them won't. They're waiting for that ballot request to come in again. There's a swath of voters who assume, I did this in 2018. I don't need to do it again in 2020, but they do. And those people get caught off guard, and they're desperate to know, can I do this last minute? Invariably, I have to find out their state if they haven't indicated it. I will look and I will direct them to our election dates and deadlines for overseas voters. I will direct them to the voter materials transmission options that they have. Many states will allow voters to send materials in some kind of online form. It might be an, a scanned email. It might be a fax. So there's some last-minute solutions in some states. Mm -hmm. All of that's actually in our website. It's in the election dates and deadlines section. And in the state voting requirements section, every state has a chart for the voter materials transmission options that you have, all the different ways you can send material back and forth. The panic button people, a lot of them actually end up being able to vote because there's so many options now. Good. I don't recommend it. It's not worth it. Some people, well, you know, there there's so many questions around there. A lot of them have to do with just simple things that they want to know. Do I need a voter card? Do I need this and that? There actually is a huge FAQ on our website. There's not a single question we can't answer. There's always an answer to be had, and there's almost always a solution unless it's like the day before the election. On your site. I know that people can create their own profiles. What are the benefits of creating a profile versus not having a profile? That's one of the, my favorite things. And if I had a big grant, I would create a website that was designed around the concept of the voter account. It's kind of like a bank account. When my kids had their 18th birthday, I had them create their voter account. The idea is that you're spending all this time and you should have a return on your investment for entering all that data into the website. 
you want it to be secure, of course, and I'll touch on that, but you can save that data for the most part in a voter account, which is your personal democracy dashboard. The next time you need to generate a form, you can log into the site, you can go to your voter account dashboard, you can actually go there anytime. You can keep a profile of your democracy, your personal democracy dashboard. You can you can keep all your addresses online. It's got already knows who your election official is because it's going to sort that based on your address. Various other things that you can do on your voter account dashboard. But the most important thing is that it saves you time to generate that form again because you just click a button to regenerate it. You will have to enter ID information again because we don't keep that online. You might have to enter a part of your date of birth as well. We don't, you know, want to keep everything on you online. We all want to sleep at night. It does save a lot of time. It makes generating your ballot request for the next calendar year super fast. Yeah, it's, it's convenient for people who are overseas long-term especially. Let's talk a bit about your, your teams, your U.S. vote and your overseas vote teams. How passionate are they? Where does it come from? Oh, it's a great question because we have 20 volunteers for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, where do these people come from? Some of them have been with us for more than 10 years, and then some of them are new. We've got quite a few young people. The range of people, uh, the ages of the people that are volunteering for us ranges from... 15 to 75. They are what I would call in academic research terms a self-selected group. They find their way to us. They might find us through volunteer match. They might just write to me or I might even recruit them. There have been times when somebody writes into our help desk with so much passion that I say, hey, you want to volunteer and help us with this or whatever? And that's worked out as well. All of them are either students studying to be professionals, like we have law students and such, or actual people who are, you know, professionals in their fields. We have attorneys, we have such a range of people, teachers, and they are, you know, they're the ones that find us. They are looking around for something more to do. And I'll tell you, when someone comes to us, I already know they're, they're special. They're different. They want to do something. My job is to figure out what they can do for us that suits them the best, suits us the best, and doesn't overlap with anybody else. Because I think it's really important that every volunteer owns their gig with us and can make it larger or smaller, etc. And it's remarkable kind of how it works out. We find a role for everybody, and that's the mojo. That's the real mojo of the organization. It's amazing that we're largely volunteer run all this time. Yeah. I think it's great that they come to you. I, I think that changes everything. You know, it, it it's a different motivation for them, I imagine. It does. And uh, our currency is really the thank you. <laughs> I'm very dedicated to our volunteers and want them to, even though they're not maybe getting money, to be getting something of value. And I make it very clear to them that I see this as a value exchange because without that, they're not going to stick with it. It's just going to be hard work. We find a really good balance with a lot of them and many, many of them stay with us for an extremely long amount of time. Going back to citizens voting, 
many U.S. citizens overseas feel that their vote isn't counted because there are so few compared to any state or district. Why is voting from overseas important? Well, (laughs) that's a great question because, first of all, let me just clarify that it's against the law for an election official to not count a ballot. As an overseas citizen, your ballot is mixed in. It's not necessarily kept separate. It just might arrive later, but it's still counted and added to the final count. Don't confuse counting ballots with calling an election. Lots of ballots aren't finalized, counted yet, and reported, and the election isn't certified yet prior to when the election might be called because it's just a math problem. If you have a thousand ballots and, you know, one of the candidates got 800, you already know you can call the election. Even 600, you can call the election. Or 501, you can call the election, right? They still have to count all the ballots. Now, why is voting from overseas important? Well, first of all, we're American citizens and use it or lose it. We don't want to lose our voting rights. We have them wherever we go around the world. And just take a look at the margins. I mean, there are elections decided on one vote. Our elections have razor thin margins. Look at look at New Hampshire. Do I need to say more? The margin of error between the top two contenders was less than 1.5, or maybe it was 1.5%. We don't need any more evidence that every ballot matters. And every ballot is counted by the law. You cannot certify an election. An election official cannot certify an election without counting every ballot and and accounting for where every ballot went or didn't go. You know, if it, even if it didn't come back, they have to note that. Now, you touched on my next question when you spoke about your kids voting and they used your previous address. But let me pose the question. Is it possible for all overseas Americans to register to vote? So what if you were born overseas and never lived in the U.S.? Could you still vote? Unfortunately, that's the one case where I cannot determine that without knowing what state you're from. So in general, overseas Americans, if you have moved from the U.S. to any other country, you bring with you your right to vote you're eligible, you can register and vote. If you were born overseas, it depends what state you lived in, whether they passed a law that extends voting rights to you as a child of an American, and that's very sad, but not all states are on that list. If you want to know, a quick answer to you is just go into our voter help desk on the overseas vote site, or US Vote, you can get to the overseas vote help desk too and look that up under residency questions, and you'll see the list of states. It's estimated that 7% of eligible overseas voters actually vote. What do you attribute this low participation rate to, and what can we do to increase the overseas voter turnout? It's true that it's absolutely a disastrously low level of overseas Americans take advantage of their voting rights I love one of the ideas that ACA actually came up with years ago. We used to, and you know, I think you still sometimes mention it, and I've put it into one of our reform article suggestions that the State Department, when U.S. citizens are leaving the U.S., 
on overseas journeys, we should slip a little note in their passport that says, hey, you can vote. Simple thing to do, but we don't do it. You know, every tiny thing like that could help increase the awareness that you are traveling with your voting rights. The number one reason is probably people don't even know. They don't realize they can vote. They make all sorts of assumptions and they don't get informed. Internet or no internet, age of information or not, overseas citizens don't always check to see if they can vote. They think, oh, I need to own property or I need a mailing address in the US or this or that. None of it's true. You absolutely do not need a current mailing address in the US, you only say where you last lived because that's the jurisdiction where you will vote, your ballot will be sent to you from that jurisdiction, but you don't need to ever receive mail to a US address if you're an overseas voter. Those are just details and you know that's a good question that comes in to our help desk. What address? do I use as my U.S. voting address? Your U.S. voting address is the last residence you lived in. It's kind of the last place you were connected to in the U.S. That's why you vote there. It doesn't matter where your mother lives or your sister or your brother. It's the awareness that is so low and we do very little to increase it. I would do more. I mean, U.S. and overseas vote would do so much more, but it's all dependent on budget. American citizens are spread out. They leave the U.S. with a bunch of ideas that they never confirm right or wrong regarding overseas voting. In addition to awareness, what are some of the current issues and concerns with access to voting both domestically and overseas? Well, I would say from an overseas voter standpoint, one of the biggest issues we're running into is that state websites are blocking overseas voters from accessing their sites because we have overseas IP addresses. They're so terrified about being hacked that they're keeping all the good people out. Let me tell you, the hackers know exactly how to find their way in, but the overseas citizens who simply want to go there to get information or download their ballots or whatever are being blocked. Good news, <laughs> overseas vote does exist and you can come to us and get the same stuff and get as much as possible. But that's a big access problem for overseas citizens that the states are inaccessible through their websites more and more and more due to their security concerns. Uh, the US is another can of fish where they're dealing with suppression issues that go far beyond what we're dealing with. That's good news for overseas voters that the Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voting Act, the federal law that protects us, it's not under siege. We still have all of our rights. Voting for us is actually easier than voting in the US domestically in a lot of ways. We have one form that registers us and requests our ballot. We can get our ballots in many different ways. We get them very early compared to domestic voters. We have resources, we have a lot of automation on the front end. Just do things early and you'll be fine. It's about being prepared. Yeah, and not waiting till the last month. You know, register and request your ballot now and you've got it for the primary and the general and you're set. 
Speaking of online voting, there's studies that say it's effective and there's concerns about the security. Does Overseas Vote believe online voting would help increase voting access for overseas voters? There's absolutely no proof anywhere that online voting increases turnout. None, even in the countries that have it. Our organization couldn't be more against a proposal than we are against online voting. We are absolutely in favor of automating everything, but we draw the line at the ballot. It needs to be a paper ballot. There is absolutely no system tested and certified as secure. There are loads of claims by vendors, by security centers who are hired by the vendors. This is such a red herring. It sucks up time, energy, and resources that would be so much better spent. Otherwise, I, I, I can't even begin to go through. The recent hype is all around blockchain. Let me just make it clear. Blockchain as a transmission process, fine. But around online voting, it's much more complex than just moving an item from A to B. There's the authentication of the voter. Are you who you say you are when you're voting? There are systems out there for online voting that literally take so much information from you, including a video of your face to really? authenticate you. <laughs> I would never recommend that anybody agree to that, ever. You can lose your identity in a heartbeat. They won't tell you where it goes and who stores that. You can't be sure of that. And why do they do that? Because it's so difficult to make sure that you are who you are when you're voting online. That's just one thing, but there are denial of service attacks. There, there's so many problems around online voting that are not solved by blockchain. Blockchain is just a transmission method in the middle. It's like the bologna in the sandwich, but right. it isn't the bread or the butter or the person. It's none of the other stuff. We have tons of articles on our blog about this whole thing. The most recent article written by an MIT person from MIT Media Lab, she wrote a great couple of stories, one about utopia and the other dystopia, talking about online voting. If you read one article, read that one, top of our blog on U.S. Vote Foundation. Can you tell us what you understood happened in the Iowa caucus result meltdown last month? First of all, Iowa completely ignored the recommendations of the DNC to avoid online tools. And Nevada's just going in the same direction now, despite this debacle. Down in the weeds, the way the Iowa caucus worked was they did round one, and then if your candidate wasn't viable, you had to reallocate yourself to a different candidate. There are people who don't want to reallocate. They are offended, they're mad, and they go home. So part A wasn't going to match part B. Well, this was a problem. People leaving, people, you know, so things didn't tally up. The other thing was that the app was totally untested. It was difficult to use. There was a lack of connectivity. They weren't even able to get a signal. 
in some of these places. And this That's is a incredible. real reality. But it's a reality in many parts of the U.S. where they don't have proper Internet service. All of, they made everybody dependent on this. They completely understaffed their phones and everything. They could have done it all differently. We can say that in hindsight, but they've probably nixed that election. It's probably not going to be possible to satisfy the candidates. And this is one of the biggest dangers of online voting, is you get the candidates who will contest the results and you cannot prove what's right. This is why we need it on paper. And granted, after Iowa, they were thrilled that they had some things on paper, but it wasn't how it could have been. They complicated their process, unfortunately. How do you think organizations such as yours and advocacy organizations like ACA are helping Americans overseas? Are they important to the community? I think our organizations are so vital to the community. I just wish more people knew about them. I'm sure you feel the same way. Without our organizations, I mean, the services and the issues that relate to overseas Americans would just be completely unknown to the general overseas public and community. I couldn't advocate more that people should join our organizations and become members and consider themselves part of this community. We can be very influential. We can influence these elections. If all overseas Americans voted and brought millions more ballots back, we could tip a lot of elections. Our voices count. Our votes count. You know, we are the vehicles that get the word out. So my answer is a very clear, resounding yes. We are important, and I hope more people participate. Any final thoughts? My final thought is just consider yourself someone who can tip the next election and register and request your ballot today. <laughs> if you haven't done it yet, make sure you print out that form, sign it, and put it in an envelope and post it with a postmark. Go to your local post office. Do that, and you're going to have a much better year having your say in how things go. It couldn't matter more. We all know that, and your voice does count. Uh, so please, use your rights. Perfect final thought. Thank you, Susan, for taking the time to chat about U.S. Vote Foundation and Overseas Vote. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month, is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us. 